0: So shall we just pray and dedicate this time to God? Our Heavenly Father, we thank you once more that tonight we are privileged to, to look into your word, to be led by your Spirit, to answer questions, to hopefully, Lord, save some marriages restore some to help others that are going through divorce those that are contemplating remarriage and to ensure that your word is honored and that the enemy that hates marriage is defeated in the mighty and precious name of jesus So give us words of clarity and simplicity that in the simplest way we can speak and in the simplest way we can make your word clear, much clearer to those listening. In Jesus' name, amen. Saints, we want to thank you for coming again. Um, I had a chat with the the lawyer today, um, and she could not make it for today, so she has said she'll probably, in the most likelihood, be available on Friday. Whilst she hopes she can still make it tomorrow, amen. So, what we are going to try and do tonight, uh Based on yesterday's heat in the studio, what we are going to try and do is simply uh, now delve into the topic of dealing with divorce. There, There are many aspects that we are going to try and cover. So what I'm going to try and do is speak, highlight the key issues and Dr. Melape and I will take some time after that to answer the questions that many of you may have. And we will follow suit tomorrow with follow, uh, answering the questions depending on whether our legal expert is here or not. So tonight, I want us to answer this question as a kickoff. Yesterday, we realized that when there is a divorce, whatever your stance is on remarriage, you you should have seen that there are a number of people that are implicated in the commission of adultery. Now, what we want to ask today is when people are divorcing, who's affected and who must deal with the divorce? So, firstly, let me read where we have already read in Matthew chapter 19. That's where I'm going to start tonight. And then we will take it from there to Galatians chapter 6. In Matthew chapter 19, we, 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 we had read verse 6. That's where, that's where our emphasis is going to be tonight. It says, so they are no longer two, but one. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no man separate. Amen. So first and foremost, what I want us to understand is the whole idea of what God has joined together. Amen. And from that perspective, develop a view as to who should actually be dealing with divorce and what are the implications and the practicalities of dealing with divorce. So first and foremost, because God is the one by through instituting marriage, god sanctified marriage so let's start with the idea of god instituting marriage first and look at why divorce devastates people beyond what we normally understand so in the past i had said marriage is a spiritual institution it starts with god even though it it is intended for human beings and as a result God has expectations about the uh, marriage and he has declarations about divorce. So, in God's view, the very essence of marriage emanates from him saying, It is not good for a man to be alone, therefore, I'll make him a suitable helper. And in making him a suitable helper, he decides that him and his helper are going to be one flesh, and therefore. The commentary that we understand from Jesus is that that process was God's way of bringing the two together with a view that no one should separate them. Now, man's unity emanates from his unity with God. God was united with man from creation first. So we understand that when the devil came, two things, two separations. In terms of relationships, happened. One, the Bible teaches us that because of the sin, we were separated from God. Isn't that the case? But then again, it speaks of the alteration of the relationship between husband and wife, where it says, Now to the wife, your desire shall be for your husband and he shall rule over you which was not the initial intention as we had said in the past so let's think about god and the devil in the context of divorce god wants marriages to stand right god everything that god intended for human beings emanates from the fact that god wants human beings. To live in rulership and be successful in everything that they do. Therefore, from that perspective, marriage is spiritual because God says, I am a witness of the covenant. Thank you. So if God is a witness of a covenant, why is God so keen about covenant? Because he's the God of covenant. He's the one who established the covenant of marriage. And if anything we can learn, God does not like the idea of covenants being broken. So covenant, in a sense, expresses the nature of God in his faithfulness we call him a covenant keeping God what does covenant keeping mean it means he's reliable he's steadfast he's loving he's faithful he's trustworthy amen and so God over many years if you study covenant when people made a covenant and they broke it God was not pleased hence God punished Israel when they broke uh, the, the, the covenant they had made with the Gibeonites, even though they were deceived. And so under different circumstances, and we, we have done covenants in the past, so I'm just skimming through the idea, is that people would have actually gone as far as two people take making a covenant they've taking their their weapons to say your enemies are, your, are my enemies your friends are my friends they ch- exchange cloaks and say you and i are one in other contexts they would exchange blood cards to say you and i are one they would have covenant meals they would cut the animals walk between the animals if let it be done to me what has been done to this animal if i break this covenant so people didn't just enter covenants contractually with the termination clause so there was no termination clause the termination clause if you follow some of the rituals actually in some cases it would have meant the death of the one who violates the covenant Obviously, covenants were different, but in this case, what I want you to understand is that God, because of the seriousness of the covenant, because covenant implied unity and oneness, and that you are the priority of the person who made a covenant with you, if they were fighting a battle somewhere and you are engaged in a battle, they would leave the person that are helping to come and help you. So in essence, in God's mind, there there shouldn't be a greater relationship of oneness, unity, faithfulness, commitment, than the one of the covenant. Right? So God says covenant is good. So if God says something is good, it, it is a given that the devil wants to destroy it. So if God loves marriages, it goes without saying that the devil hates marriages. And so when people divorce, they are forgetting as much as they forgot when they got married, that marriage is spiritual, enforced and endorsed by God, hated and targeted for destruction by the devil. And therefore other people are going to divorce not because they want to divorce but because they were spiritually ignorant of the enemy of their marriage so in essence therefore i want to say to us when we think about how are people going to deal with divorce before as in in the process of trying to decide to divorce and post few questions that we want to ask who is supposed to deal with divorce who does it affect does the, does divorce just affect the two parties who else does it affect who else so so divorce is not an issue between two people only it has a ripple effect and whilst the two people make a decision to divorce most of the time they look at their own pain and frustrations will go through that just now but they don't understand that when you divorce it's not just you who has to deal with divorce it's the individual in the marriage it's the couple in the marriage, it's their children, it's their parents, it's their extended families, it's the church, it's the community, it's the kingdom of God. So divorce should not be taken lightly. So when you deal with divorce, you will, let's start with at the point of deciding I'm divorcing. What do you think is the emotional state of a person
1: who wants to divorce?
0: Angry. So there's anger. There's bitterness. What else? There's frustration. There's guilt.
1: There's unforgiveness. There's panic as well.
0: There's pain. There's loneliness. There's a sense of being unappreciated. There's despondence. You know when you think I've tried. There's nothing more to do.
1: But there's also betrayal.
0: There's a a mixture of hopelessness and hopefulness. You know, sometimes people come to a place where they say, ah, yo, I don't know. This thing just cannot work. It's a hopeless situation. But they are hopeful in a sense that they think when when this divorce is done and dusted. My life will be better. Most people have discovered after divorcing that it's not as fun as they thought they would. Others are happier than they were. But the truth of divorce is this. And it's a truth that you can either accept or reject. Because I only principle and experience will prove you right or wrong. The second marriage does not have the same potential
1: as the first one in God.
0: Because God never intended for you to have a second person marrying to you post-divorce. God intended for you to stay married to the first person. So which means, in a sense, the baggage of the first marriage comes from a single life. But the baggages of a second marriage comes from a single life and a life of being married and divorced. So in terms of their potential, we can say if the other one has 100% potential of being everything that God intended for you in its fullness, the other one maybe has 90 the second one has 90. Does that mean you won't be happier in the second one? Not necessarily. Maybe the first one where it had 100% potential, you were only living the reality of 55%. So you lost 45% of what God intended for you. So now if you are living from the 90 of the second marriage, And you are living 70%. Surely you are going to be happier than you were the first time around. You understand the difference? So we are not talking about whether the first one would have been happier than the first. No, the second. We are talking about their potential in God to be everything that God intended for you to become and to do. Hence it doesn't matter you how how was your divorce divorce you'll always have a reference point as your as your first marriage amen so at the point of deciding to divorce people have these
1: emotions amen so Are these emotions justified? So I'm angry like I want to. Remember,
0: it is a fallacy and it is wrong for you and I to assume that everyone who divorces makes the decision lightly. It's it's the wrong assumption a larger percentage of people who divorce have been tormented by that decision they have tossed and tossed and turned over this why because most people don't want to be a failure in this regard amen so let's move from the Point that says there are two possibilities for a person who's deciding to divorce. Another one believes that I will get relief because some people want to divorce. You understand? And another possibility that you and I always think about is that when people divorce, because it takes two to a tango and because when there's a conflict, there's always two people. By the time they divorce, they both have contributed to de- Have you ever had someone being dumped? And this is the reason given. There's really nothing wrong with, with you. It's not that you're not a bad person. Not, so they, they start by giving you They enumerate your good qualities. And then after that, they say, it's just me. And you know what's the truth? Most of the time, it's really just them. It's them. It's not what you have done. It's the fact that perhaps they have seen someone they like more. Is it your fault that you have an acquirable look? It's not your fault. You were fearfully and wonderfully made to look that way. But because there's acquired taste, there's acquired looks, They initially when they looked, they thought they saw something. And now when they look at someone else, they realize, I'm seeing different. So you see, that, that has not, it's not what you did. The blame can be put on you. It's squarely on if they are to be blamed, because it's their choice. But in the context of marriage, people have come and said, I've met someone. Many things have happened. If you were here in one of the testimonies, one lady gave a testimony that, I did everything for my husband. I stooped so low for him to be anything and everything he wanted. but here's my understanding here's my interpretation it was the very same self-sacrifice that sometimes makes someone takes you for granted that you have given everything that they actually feel more deserving and then they think "Ah, i think i can do better you understand that type of thing and so you have these two people that are divorcing. The one person is, in a sense, happy to divorce because they believe they are greener pastures. Another person is agonizing over it. In some cases, two people are organi- agonizing over the divorce, but they just can't see the way. They are saying, if we love each other, but we are going to kill each other if we continue, we will be better off as friends. It has gone to the extent that other people have divorced and cheated with each other, as I told you before. Because now they don't have to live with their imperfections. They can steal moments of perfection with each other. So it's not a question of
1: people who divorce. Always
0: cease to love each other so it's not always it can be people who hate each other eventually but it's not always the case are we it so let's just look at areas that we should be thinking about as we consider or as we help people going through divorce or as we are looking at people that we are judging so when people are going through divorce these are the things they need to deal with divorce has spiritual implications right so when they are dealing with it they have to deal with the spirituality of it they have to deal with the financial implications your life can change permanently in fact it will they have to look at cultural implications of divorce they have to look at psychological effects on themselves now remember all these things i'm talking about are applicable to the different people who have to deal for instance children have these things have to be considered about children as much as parents there are social implications how many people are treated differently after they have divorced. And some people, when they divorce, they don't think about that. They think, I'm going to dump him or her, and then I'm just going to continue with my life. There are emotional issues. That's what we will try and cover as we go. And some of the issues we will answer with Dr. Melab. There's relational issues to deal with. Friends, relatives, Church, and even partners. How many of your friends divorced and you did not approve, and they are not your friends anymore? Has never happened to you. You are very gracious. Your status will change, whether it's a financial status. I was even thinking that you are this, you know, in churches where guna bo mama <laughs> na bo sisi abo baba na bo Nabo na bo brada kuruba bija brada so suddenly Unoli ntate mama and now divorce divorce changes there it is your expectation because when you were called, they can't now suddenly people in their heads, depending on the orientation and the cultural and your church context, in other churches, if you are unmarried, oh brother, also your brother was 50 years. And they're going to go, oh brother, man, man. are you following? So these are some of the things that I don't want to go into details because I want us to to make time for the questions. That even if you think, I won't deal with this, you're going to deal with it. Let's talk about the emotional side of things. You know, divorce has stigma. It does not There's one thing that you have to understand and accept actions have ramifications are you hearing what i'm saying if you are a sister and you fall pregnant in the life of the church what are we going to do eventually we are going to restore you right well if if we discipline you as the people who fell into will discipline you eventually will restore you. But it doesn't change the fact that there are other people from that moment who will never marry you. And it doesn't matter how good a sister or a brother you are after that. It's, it's simply a question of the law of sowing and repeat. The fact that we have forgiven you does not change the opinion of a person who says, "I'm not going to marry someone who has a child," or "I'm not going to raise another man's child." Do we have to preach them out of that conviction? I don't know. All I know is that they have a prerogative to decide the person they are going to to marry. In a similar manner, you. We can try as best as we can as leadership to make people more accepting. It doesn't mean everyone will be. And therefore, we're not as a person who goes through those things. Be aware So that you don't say, yeah, you know, at church,
1: people are so unloving. People have
0: opinions. And we can't change that. And their opinions don't always agree either with scripture or with the collective. So a few things, therefore, that emotionally that people must deal with. So when you, you meet someone who has divorced, either, depending on whether they were pro-divorcing or anti-divorcing in their marriage, these are some of the things that you must be aware they are dealing with, and so either you can help them deal with it, or you can exacerbate that sense in them. Firstly, I've said they are dealing with a sense of stigma. They are dealing with guilt. Now remember, not everyone is going to deal with these things. They are dealing with guilt. Could I have done things different? Again. Others are, 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 are dealing with self-blame. Maybe a husband, a, a wife cheated. They think it was me. Maybe I could have been a better partner. People deal with shame. Can you imagine in some context, you were the first person to divorce. And you come from a very strong cultural background. Where they will tell you that my child, we don't do that
1: here. And that's it.
0: We don't divorce, we work through things. And when you come, the family, not because we na according to you, you did. But that's the the feeling you are going to have to deal with when people are dealing with you. There is also a sense of failure. You know how many people believe that they can work through their marriage?
1: Like me. And then you get to a point where you realize,
0: I can't. And if you were like some of the people that are not here today, you were, you were like,
1: me, me,
0: divorce, never, never. Okay. And then suddenly, it's not even you divorcing. They are divorcing you. And it's beyond you. Because in most divorce cases, there is an innocent party in the light of what causes the divorce. Remember what we said, that other people isolate their marriages to a point that they actually want to victimize their partners. So a lot of people go through failure, especially Christians. Christians suffer from shame and blame and failure than any other group. Because we are the ones whose God says, I hate divorce. People deal with disappointment. Then there's depression. Others have suicidal thoughts. Others have that sense of
1: gender hatred. Others are vindictive and
0: revengeful. Others actually do marry. But with a view that I will deal with you. If you ever become like, remember we're talking about self-preservation. So this person can remarry on a rebound to spite the O, the, the X. You know, when the, someone gets married to make a statement that I'm not a fellow guy, I, like I, I can do without you. The problem now is that they don't necessarily love genuinely the person they are married to. They are using them as a token of revenge for, against the other person. Are you there, say? So sometimes when we are going to have to deal with these issues, we were doing a course at Rayma at one point with so many divorces. I was the only person who never divorced nor married. Talk about curiosity. At one point, we were working through the process of forgiveness. Forgiving yourself and forgiving your spouse. I've never seen such pain and crying. People feeling it's hard to let go. Why? Because sometimes I still loved that person. And I believed in them. But still they did what they did. And sometimes I still have to be with this person in our co-parenting. Are you there, So, the complexities don't just end with a divorce decree. They are ongoing. So, let's answer the last question. That is just an extension of what I was saying. So, when people, not when people zone, when they, I guess it's unzolling, isn't it? Because when they, when they sold, they put and they, they make themselves one. I get when people unsold their marriage, then, here's the thing. What are they possibly divorcing into? Because oftentimes, I agree we are done. It's done and tested. I'm from the court. It's finalized. How many people do you think have processed what they are divorcing into? It's the same thing. Remember, premarital counseling is to try and help you understand what are you getting yourself into. Is there pre-divorce counseling? Do people go through and understanding that actually, just be aware that now that you are divorced,
1: these are the implications so let's just
0: throw in some few thoughts number one they are divorcing into an unpredictably changed life your life is changed whether you like it or not the problem is you can't predict those changes you will think you will be happy only to find that you miss the
1: smaller moments. You know,
0: something that I had never understood when I was young. How can people, they fight, they fight because I grew up in an environment like that. And then after they fight, the one partner, one ne?
1: 30
0: minutes down the line. They are calling us now. Hey, hey, Bana, come, come. You people, you fought. This person, shouldn't you be happy? And then listen to the reasoning. They might kill him. I thought you wanted to kill him. more. Why are you re- now recruiting us to go and... You understand? They are fighting. Call the police. The police come. Or the, this one Call, goes to the police station, Cause the police, comes with the police, not the modern police. The modern police don't handle such things. They just ask you, is anyone dead? No? Okay. No problem. Those days, if there was domestic violence, the police came. And then... They arrested this person. I remember they came and arrested one of my half-brothers for causing havoc at home. And I was young, but I still vividly remember these African policemen writing a statement. They are telling him. He can hear Sesoto. He's writing in Afrikaans. He's writing a charge against my half-brother. Hey fluke. The man
1: and that was the charge. And they arrested him. So imagine this person is arrested, right? Give it a few hours.
0: That one starts crying now. She goes to the police station. She drops the charges. The police want to know why. She says, "Either I want to I wanted to teach him a lesson, or I can't live without him." I guess they were drunk. In the morning, they are talking. I'm talking about where I grew up. They are showing us. Oh, what lampula? Bono hongapi le juanga
1: That thing is predictable for them. They know
0: they fight, they reconcile. They fight, they reconcile. They divorce, they have no one to fight with. And suddenly they miss even those crazy moments. The unpredictability of it all. Missing the familiar and dealing with the unexpected. Because it doesn't mean now you know the devil you are going to deal with it's not always bad when we say the unexpected it might be good again they also going into if they are children they are going into distance co-parenting or scheduling Nothing can be a problem when another man is going to meet with your wife to discuss their child because nobody prepared you for co-parenting beyond divorce or as some of the cases recently, when you now are co-parenting you are seeing other people but you start developing affinity again. And you don't know how to include your new partners in your parenting. Nobody has taught you, how are you going to co-parent? Others walk into a world of compensating for the failure. It's like when you, 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 you want to raise your children better than you were raised, right? A lot of people who have divorced may also go into a relationship with a deep sense of compensation. I don't want my marriage to fail again. You understand? Now, the, the, unfortunately, that's normally what ends up leading into more problems because people become conformist one of the statistics that i have found interesting maybe you should check it for yourself is that people who have divorced are likely to divorce again
1: will that be the case with everyone no but the
0: fact that they are bringing themselves with some of the unresolved issues. That may have broken the relationship that when... So, you came into the marriage with the baggage. You did not resolve them via premarital counseling. They became mountains in the marriage. You still did not resolve them to the extent that they became now a problem. Right? Let's take a simple and a lousy example. You know those people that are called uh, smothered by their mothers or their fathers? Mothers, boy. Right? You know those. Or those people who have a heavy financial presence in their homes. When I, when you came, he was the total financial benefactor of the entire family. And when, when you come, that issue was never resolved. It became a problem in this marriage. Baby generation, generation, generation. I will ask Mama. Baby generation, generation, generation. Oh, you still remember uh, last week? We agreed with no mama. Mama says this. Boom mabar. Hey, hey. In fact, you're not to bit in boom mabar. So now you realize this thing didn't start in the marriage again it started then and then it came into the marriage and it became a problem in the marriage and as a result the, the the spouse became the devil so when they remarry they are hoping that the second one will be more tolerable and Loving, understandable. Only to find that this one is even fire. Oh, Lord. How's Ah, now you realize. Oh, now he starts saying, hey. This one feels so, no, 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 no. Your mother can't just come here and move my things as she please. This is not her house. Are you following? So issues that may have not been resolved may still become even bigger. And as a result, we do want to mention that your new marriage comes with new problems if not added on old ones. When, when you married your first person, remember the vows. How poetic you sounded without realizing that vows are not intended to be poetic, they are they are meant to be meaningful and truthful. Tell us about regular English, stay with what you can commit to because then later, how can a guy who says of all the girls? You know that for my life, I prayed for someone like you. And I thank God that I. Now, suddenly, you are no longer the found. The person that day, no, I found someone else. What is the guarantee that the newly found will remain the best found? We don't know. Are you the same? The next one, it says, and this one is fun. Let me ask you. Is it possible that when people divorce, they allow their love for each other to go dominant so that their negative feelings can dominate? It is possible. So one of the things that I want to suggest is that dormant love does not always equal to lost love. Because even with the spouses we have now, I'll just talk about me and my wife. At least my wife has told me there are those days where she wants to strangle me. I haven't told her what I want to do yet. And for me, it's, it's a normal thing. It's a normal thing of, of understanding that, okay, they are in marriage, in any relationship, love is not the only primary emotion and feeling. Right? So which means there are days where you are not going to say something to your spouse, but you are very angry. Only extra humble extra loving here's a tea babes and then you just continue with your things what does that mean you are suppressing this thing to allow a positive primary emotion to dominate the atmosphere how many of us have decided i'd rather go and sleep than talk to her or him Look at the heads. The heads in the studio are going like, yeah. And if I can ask you, add some few things. Others would say, I even decided to just go to the toilet and pee, just to release the pressure. People can tell you stories of the things they do to suppress the alternative destructive feelings and emotions. Are you there in a similar manner it can happen that at the point of wanting to divorce you can suppress your love your affection and then you allow bitterness to rise but it is possible that after you divorced you are now walking into an environment of evoked or revived dormant love where instead of again now you've done what you thought would make you happy suddenly you miss her you ask yourself if I don't love her anymore why do I miss her suddenly you care suddenly you want to know how are they doing suddenly you are angry about the fact that they seem to have found somebody it's because divorce does not always eradicate love. It's not always an outcome of lost love. So you might walk into that environment. The last,
1: okay, oh, there's still something. Your
0: animosity may not necessarily automatically go away. got divorce mood. Some, I agree we just spoke about your, your love may not necessarily go away. We must also talk about your animosity may not necessarily go away. And that your animosity may be towards the person. I've seen other people, their animosity for the person goes towards the children. Mommy, can I have... Yes, continue. I have... Okay, you, you have seen something like that. On the other hand, that animosity might actually be transferred to gender. Hi. One of a sudden that, I told you the story of that guy who used to give us very wise ways, a small boys. My light. Can I go to the Mategua? My light. How i how far. The woman is the snake. Don't trust the
1: woman.
0: (laughs) On top of the But he's moving from his own experience of the head, and it has gone to gender hatred in a similar manner. Banna Munna Munna gimmat Hagemat Munna Kimudumela fella Kabakala chalet. Hagikato Munyani. Muganya say it. Banna griin cha banna panagi panagi farig. And when you are looking at this girl, she's looking prim and proper until you speak about marriage. Then you rise something out of it. Yeah, animosity has not gone away they have become
1: vindictive and divorce can bring you to a place of discovering your threshold for pain and other
0: people may not i say they thought they can handle it and suddenly other people had become suicider. Because the person who divorced you has gone on with their lives.
1: And they don't... Let me give you a scenario. You love this person. Ne? You've done everything.
0: And this person comes to you, him or her, it doesn't matter. Let's paint a picture of you taking this guy to school when you are struggling, as the guy where I won't mention, and eventually he becomes something important, right? Or you take this girl from a family of poverty and from Gutulanyana Bama and one day they tell you they they want a divorce, right? Listen to what they say to you. I know that you've done a lot for me and I'm very grateful and blah, 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 blah. They told you all the stuff that you don't want to hear. So just so that we are fair, I would like you to compute. I want
1: you to calculate the costs of everything you've done for me. Can you imagine? And then,
0: are you going to calculate it? Because they're like, <laughs> this person, exactly, look, the men say, maybe luena utla utla chogi kile ka utla ka kai kai idols kichebile one day motu abina eh rendela ba guena you know what you are seeing can be summarized into a three letter African three letter word i live it i'm sure some of you were watching that moment, how about That's how you feel, right? No problem. But what's wrong with anything? Ne? Hello, Ngola. About depositing a check, You half a million. thank you for everything you've done for me.
1: Eh?
0: Can you imagine the pain that you are going through that moment? So you can walk into a threshold of your own pain. And then the last two things I want to say is
1: that I can tell you another thing. You have
0: walked into a world of risking altering your children's views about marriage, or their emotional security or their future sometimes other parents have done very well after they've divorced but most of them have had to pour everything into the lives of their children those who have succeeded have done that they have said i don't want someone to come and mess up my children's life anymore so they've poured. others have remarried, and their spouses have abused their children. We had a case like that here at church. Others, based on what their children saw through the divorce proceedings, the custody battles and the pains and the fluke dementia and everything, the children have since decided, marriage is not for me. Are you following? Others have decided Naga e Jolla na Msabasi. So which means what you do with your marriage, be aware it has ripple effects. And by implication, therefore, remarriage if you have children, it introduces your children to new problems problems that you may be able to handle and that they may not be able to handle. I've seen people who are happily remarried with miserable children. And I have heard, talking from experience where I come from, where people have told their children, and they have sacrificed the children for the benefit of remarry. When they thought divorcing was the best, it turns out that had they stayed longer, they would have had a better testimony of the restoration of their marriage instead of divorce. Amen. So, uh, I'm going to call that app, You're just going to sit and answer some of the questions that have people have asked. So what we're hoping to do is to... We've deliberately left other issues unattended, but um, I'm, I'm, I'm positively hopeful that a lot of the stuff that we are raising is helping you develop a perspective for yourself and for the people you want to help amen also what i have briefed the the legal expert on is that a lot of our people don't understand the obscure aspect of the legalities that divorce
2: all right we just want to say thank you to those online who we for some reason managed to go on an, a commercial break unannounced, but we are back. We've just waited a little bit before we start answering questions. So we are going to start with our session where we're going to be just answering a few questions uh, that were posed. So if anyone wants to post any questions on Zoom or on uh, Facebook as well, just type your questions. And we'll take them, I will try and answer them in the next 45 minutes or so. So, the first question we want to deal with was the question that was asked yesterday by someone online. The question was What is marriage? Is it the moment a man sleeps with a woman, or an agreement on paper that binds you to be a partner? How does God see a married person? Um, it's a little bit. Bit of a difficult one. I, I guess the question can also be asked around divorce. When is a divorce? Is it only divorce once you go and sign in a court, and the court gives a, deg- a decree of divorce, um, or the moment you have left the home and or, or, or chased away the other one, and you're no longer living together as husband and wife? Um, while you are waiting the the the, the 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 paperwork, are you then divorced? I'm guessing that the the, the implications would be that if I'm divorced by the time we have separated while we are awaiting the court process, the the paperwork to happen, that means at least practically in front of God, I could potentially remarry then where remarriage would be within acceptable um, biblical principles. Um the same question again around uh marriage. Is it only once you have signed or is it once you've had sex? So if 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 in then what is common at least is that um we the 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 public or the common practice is that the signing happens or at least the church um service and being blessed by the pastor happens and afterwards then there will be the sex. At least I think that's what expected in most cases um it's rare that we would um see sex for many years and then you go and get married at least in a biblical marriage that's not what many churches practice so then if we were to say that the the marriage is once you sign the papers that would then mean that if you have come to church paraded your white dress signed on a document and you walk out of here and you have not had sex, you are married. Meaning that if you are to then separate, you would not say, no, we are separating, but we're never married because we never had sex. You would still, that would still be seen as a divorce. Um, Let's take another scenario, which happens quite a lot. Where people come to church, the pastor says a blessing, they exchange vows, they lay hands. And then they say you are now a husband and wife and you walk out, but you actually have not done the official signing with the home affairs or with the marriage register. And it happens that you then from there go home and have sex, go on honeymoon and have sex. And then you never sign for many months. And let's say you then divorce before you have actually done the go separate ways before you have done the signing. Are you divorced then if you never signed um, uh, at-home affairs? Are you divorced in front of God? And I think the question would arise around those issues as well.
1: For me, when you are married, Christian marriage, you are obviously wanting to recognize the
2: wealth system and the home affairs processes and all of that which is signing, um, whether you've got prenuptials or not, but signing the register so your marriage is recognized in South Africa. You also have got the part where you want to recognize your parents, recognize your culture. You, You go and pay Lobola and ask for this girl's hand in marriage and the parents agree. You pay a hefty amount that you're not necessarily happy with, but those are the processes that need to be followed. None of them may be totally unbiblical or they might ask you things to do that are not necessary in the Bible, but you obey the process simply because you want to obey culture. As long as they're not making you do anything that is unbiblical or or, or that is sinful, you go with the process. But you're not necessarily entering a cultural marriage. You're not necessarily entering a South African marriage. You're entering a godly marriage. So for you, a godly marriage... Or a marriage will start when you get married in front of God and that would in most cases then be the time that you come before people you come before uh, uh, a religious leader of sorts whether it's your local pastor or not and there is a recognition in front of God of the marriage and there is a uh, blessing on it and a pronouncement that you are now husband and wife and you are married in that way. I can bring my mic a little bit closer if I need to. Okay, I'm okay. All right. So, so that would be the marriage. The fact that you paid the lobola, that is not, you are not staying, not having sex because they have not been told or because and all of that. You're not staying unmarried because the Department of Home Affairs has not recognized you. I mean, you're not you're not staying um um holding yourself from sex because the department of home affairs has not recognized you. You were holding yourselves back simply because in front of God you have not been married. And once you get married in front of God, then that is a marriage. If you happen to sign later or even before, if you happen to pay lobola later or before, that should be really immaterial because you're entering a Christian and a godly marriage. The other aspect of this question, which I want to not ignore, is that let's assume that... Let me make an example with my wife. So take, let's take, take it back to the time when my wife and I were dating. And while we are, we have gone to a time where I love you, I want to marry you, I want to spend the rest of my life with you, but we're not married yet. We are now working towards possibly setting a date and getting married one day. Let us assume then that we then have sex at that time before we've come before the preacher and they've, they've laid hands on us. Are we then before God married at that time? Because I think there is the twist that if, 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 if does, does the sex mean marriage? Therefore, you can no longer say, I'm not married.
1: You are now married. And if you leave here, you will be divorced. Nowhere in the Bible do we find sex. So when we look at the Bible, even the betrothed, the the
2: engaged are expected to refrain from sex until they get married. In other words, the fact that you have promised each other shada does not mean sending a money, or sending a money and go have sex, and then you'll say, "I go sex and leave it there." You are still expected to refrain from having sex until there is a recognition of you, you are now husband and wife. And once that recognition has happened, then you can get married. If Paul even says in the New Testament, if you are burning, if, and he's not talking about the one who is single and has got no one to see. If he says you are burning and you cannot hold yourself from the virgin that you are engaged to, then marry rather than sin. In other words, you are expected while you are engaged to that person to refrain from sex. But if you see that, say in King Alendo, four years, this date data, and Satan Then get married. Once you get married, then have sex. So that is quite clear. In the Old Testament, you have got many, many, many many, um, examples of that. Uh, Jacob married uh, Rachel and uh, Leah. When he got, they didn't say, I want to marry this one. Let me have sex with her. I'll work for seven years. No, he worked for the seven years in the same house with this woman that he was to marry. And only when he was done with the seven years, he said, now um, I've worked I've paid what, what is due, now give me my wife. And only then does it then get given the wife. Even though they were together, they in the same, same household for seven years. And the same story with the other one. They said, finish the seven days of your uh, honeymoon and then she will be given to you as a wife. And then you can... Take care as a wife and then you can sleep with her. And only and for the second wife, he obviously paid the seven years only after they got married. But there was a recognition of marriage. There are instances, of, for example, in the book of Deuteronomy, where the Bible says, if Niena Walala and Tomazana was not being promised to anyone, then you must be forced to get married to that person and you must never divorce them for the rest of your life. But you must understand that even there, this is not being promoted as the practice that the Israelites should follow. This is being promoted as a sort of punishment and correcting wrongs that have been done to, to, to almost to deal with an unfortunate circumstance, to, to, to almost remedy a situation that you should have never gotten into in the
1: first place. Amen. If you want to add anything.
0: I think he, he, he summarized it very well. Marriage is before God and his intended or appointed representatives. So if you read from Genesis, how does the first marriage happen? It says, God brought the woman to the man. In this case, what is God's role? God, if you go and read the Bible, it says Adam is the son of God. In a similar token, Eve is the daughter of God. So in this case, God being a representative of himself as a parent, as a legal representative, the Bible says he brought did they have sex before no the pronouncement about sex was a post bringing them together so the issue of sex coming first you know it's just out of question then so that's the first part the the second commentary to that part tells us god's intention for the future god represented himself as a parent but then for the future he says therefore a a man shall leave his father and mother, who are the representative in this context, father and mother. Then throughout the Bible, if you go uh, through the things that, uh, that MLAB has mentioned, you see parents becoming those representatives of God, where even when they go to Laban's house, it is Laban's prerogative. When they go to Ruben's house, uh, it's, it's all these people... Prerogatives, it was, It is. the Bible uses the, this terminology, when the father hands over his daughter, right? And so as he properly alluded to, in the context of a Christian, we still acknowledge the representatives, the parents and the, uh, the pastorate or the spiritual oversight. Let me not lay by the issue of the legalities, because the legalities in themselves don't necessarily talk about whether you married before God or not. They talk about the recognition. So in the past in South Africa, you could be married before God, but you have not signed the, the paper. That would not mean you are not married. But it would mean the South African. Law would not, but if you take the same context into another country that applies a different law, they don't have to sign stuff. Furthermore, then our law reformed. Why did it reform? Think about it how can they say there's a customary marriage when there was no marriage? I don't know if you are following the thinking for them to come to a conclusion that there must be a recognition is because in the very first place, that was marriage. I think that's all I want to add.
1: I don't know if there are any new
2: questions, but there was one other question from yesterday that says, from 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 1 to 7, and probably the rest of the chapter, didn't look at this chapter, but at this verse, but this is the question. Does it mean that if a husband disobeyed Disobeys God's word in any way, including adultery, physical abuse, et cetera, the wife is expected by God to continue devoting herself to her husband. I think the question here is um just around behavior and um, um that that may be that may have been brought in this case, at least in the question of the question, by the husband specifically. Should we then continue to, to to devote themselves to the husband? Devote yourself to the husband. I'm guessing that if you are remaining married, but if you then see these things as a reason for divorce, then the question is if they are being obedient in other ways, would those be grants for divorce? If if you obviously think that grants for divorce and divorce, obviously you wouldn't have to de- devote yourself to, to that person who is about to be your ex-husband, who is your ex-husband. But let's assume that you remain married to the person. Look, the Bible is very clear that the people who are married should um, almost all the time be committed, not almost all the time, all the time, be committed to the marriage and and never be committed outside the marriage. In other words, I must be devoted to my wife and my wife must be devoted to me. I must look at no other woman like I look my wife and the same thing, I must be not um, uh, intimate with any other woman except my wife. So that is very clear. So if you remain married, yes, be devoted to one another, husband or wife. There's an issue that is being raised here, perhaps the way that the person is is, is, um, makes it a little bit here. A lot of times we tend to see many women being made to stay, and it's usually women who are being made, uh, that happens. It can happen in reverse as well, who find themselves being made to stay in abusive marriages and in marriages where there is no, in ungodly marriages, simply because God hates divorce, simply because let no man put asunder. And you find yourself having this guilt and having this expectation on on, on yourself and also being expected by the church and the society to continue staying in that marriage because this is your husband, God, and all of that. It's quite difficult for us to sit here and argue in marriage and nowhere else in our Christian walk that we must use biblical Christian godly principles to support an unchristian principle let's use one example the bible is very clear obey your mother and your father we know the verse we know the principle 10 commandments there's no reason it should not be applicable in the new testament church if your parents are getting you into Satanism if your parents are getting you into ancestral worship, if your parents are getting you into anything that is ungodly, you cannot then start doing things that are totally against God because you support them with a godly verse. That principle is applicable. That principle is applicable everywhere else in in, in life. Now, how do we try and use godly principles? Let no man put asunder. Um, and um, God hates divorce. Those are biblical principles, right? How do we use them to try and support a marriage that by all intent and purposes is ungodly? You find a guy who cheats, openly cheats, and beats the woman and does a million other things that are very ungodly and wants to sustain that marriage on the basis of a godly principle. If there's any man who has put that who has put those two asunder is the man in that marriage himself, not the divorce lawyer, not the parents who are saving their child out of the abuse and all of that. And if there is anyone who should be told let no man put asunder, then it must be the husband who has put that marriage asunder or the whoever is the partner that is causing the divorce. And I think we need to be quite careful about how we apply our biblical principles and theology because. For one biblical principle to be correct and to be um, to stand, it must be universally applicable. And we cannot start to create certain Christian principles for marriage when those Christian principles are not Christian for a Christian lifetime. That that would not make sense. And I think we need to be quite careful about
0: that. Amen. I don't know what he wants me to add. There's a hand at the back. Yeah, maybe I'll I'll talk to the hand. I'll talk to the
3: hands. Uh Uh um yesterday. Maybe uh, this question might have been asked, but I couldn't, I didn't hear it because I struggled to connect. So my question is, uh, how should one deal with her sexuality in a situation whereby a partner becomes temporarily or permanently disabled? To do sex like in a case of a woman with the issue of blood for 12 years, even um, post
1: marriage, how should one handle his or her sexuality? I don't know if that is clear. Good one, I'm talking to the end now. I thought uh, I had done enough talking
2: and if not before cool. Um okay. so it's <laughs> it's it, it's it's quite a difficult one
1: uh, in the sense that number one there is no there is no biblical
2: there is no biblical sexual surrogacy that we find anywhere in scripture that is supported by by scripture. There's only one time where we find someone being told uh, in the case of Abraham and even that cannot necessarily be be argued that it was a godly thing to do and it would be even more difficult to argue that it should have been universally applicable. Even if under those circumstances where Sarah says, Even if we were to try and argue that that was acceptable or, or, or permitted by God in that particular circumstance, it's difficult to say that it should have been universally applicable to everyone and definitely in the New Testament. So that would be difficult. So, in answering that question, we're going to have to say then that whatever happens, the sex and the sexual fulfillment should still remain within that marriage and between those two partners, unless they divorce or unless uh, one of them dies. So then the the, the sexual fulfillment which should still remain within that marital um, environment and, and between the couple. Then the question is, how, do, how does one fulfill themselves sexually when the other partner cannot participate in that sexual activity in a way that is usual and expected. And I think by rephrasing that question in that way, I'm basically giving you clues to say that there are many other ways in which the partner may partic- the other partner may participate in perhaps not so usual and perhaps not so mainline sexual activities that we're used to um, in a way that could still be quite meaningful and fulfilling for both partners without causing any without bringing any third party and without causing any friction in in the marriage Uh, I think I've answered that question as diplomatic as I can and I don't know if I've answered it adequately though
0: I think by and large, you have because here's the reality. The one aspect is the fact that by sexual activity, without necessarily intending to be gross, we have to ask what does the the question intend to imply. Does it mean penetration? Does it mean uh, Vaginal intercourse, uh, what does it mean? And what are your values? What is your common understanding around sexual fulfillment? Are you you subscribing to non-penetrative sex? Is sex only for you genital? In which case, depending on what your orientation and understanding and application then we can talk about the different alternatives available to you. On the other hand, we can also ask the question, in the light of your own, you know, to say
1: it would be wrong for if someone bends and they want They are not married, right? They should. Because they They just because they have to outside That is tantamount to say to if you want to have content and have some
0: i stay and become a eunuch in my marriage or do i go the alternative route as extremist divorce but you have those but i think it would be wrong to even suggest that they should go and get
2: all right there are two new questions that we got i'm i've got This funny feeling that we may not be online. We're on another commercial break. We're back online, okay. So we're back online. um, There are two other questions that we just need to get through that came through, I think, Zoom. So the first question is, what does the church and God say regarding the financial responsibilities of spouses post-divorce? For example, is it acceptable for a spouse to neglect their spouse and children's needs? After divorce. So, I I guess supporting your children once you're divorced and also supporting your spouse once you're divorced. What does God say about that?
0: What does God say about spousal uh, support? The Bible gives no indication or directive on spousal support. When a person was given a certificate of divorce, They were divorced. Now, but the Bible is on record saying that a father, or a parent in this case, leaves an inheritance for their children. Now, there is no way in the Bible, going back to the idea that when you you marry in a covenant, it's you and the, the spouse, right? Now, you can't say, I divorced my children. There is no verse for divorcing your children. Therefore, you are never exonerated from your responsibilities as such. And needless to say that when we answered the first question, we said, marriage in as much as it happens before god it is practiced within both the cultural and the civil context and when those two don't exonerate you by implication because they are ramifications in as much as the bible can does not say you have an obligation to support your spouse If the context in which the marriage is happening, whether it be cultural or civil, does not exonerate you, then you are not exonerated because there will be ramifications. So you can't go, for instance, in this country, there is a a clause on spousal uh, support. If when you choose that now I'm not going to support her or him if they take you to court and the court proves that you are capable to do so and it will their right to well then you're going to go to the to the magistrate and the magistrate will have to decide so in this case the question does two things for us it asks us an interpretation of the bible and an application of that interpretation in a context that is different to what the bible stipulates so you will be exonerated if it was just a question of you give her a certificate of divorce and that's it because remember let me just add a twist to the question. Remember where we read, it said give her a certificate of divorce, right? And then she is free to do what? When we read in Deuteronomy 24, she is free to marry whomever. Then when we read, again, if we read that and she could marry someone, then whoever they get married to is the one with the obligation. And so throughout the thing, I'm going to read again. I have not found where God says you have an obligation.
1: I think there are
2: two things that I just want to add to that quickly. Number one being that um, as a Christian person, if... You still remain christian during the time of divorce and after divorce taking care of your children is just a good thing to do and that's what every christian must do whether you got them out of wedlock whether you got them in the marriage uh, that has ended that's just there's no question about it we will support the christian behavior to do and i guess if you're a christian person who is um, good at heart despite the fact that there's a divorce and you see another person who is the mother of your children or the father of your children suffering and it's within your means to do it then do not withhold the good that you can do for them beyond that there are there are no other biblical obligations to say because you divorce them then you must obviously The Bible says, give to Caesar what is due to Caesar and to God what is due to God. So if Caesar says you must support your spouse with this much every single month, give to Caesar what is due to Caesar. You will obey the countries of the Lord as a Christian unless they're taking away from God. And supporting your spouse is not unbiblical. It's not ungodly. So if the country says support, then you'll have to support. The next question that I have, um, in marriage, how do we draw the line between self-love and making the
1: other person feel like they are not needed? So that, that's a very interesting one. Um, yo. So sometimes you prepare for
2: these things. You want to talk about divorce, and then they ask you questions about marriage, and then you're like, uh, "I didn't really polish my my, my thoughts around that." Um, the Bible is very clear: the the two, the two become one, not the 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 halves, the two halves. So one plus one becomes one. So the fact that I'm married does not necessarily mean that I must now become less of me so that the other person can then be the other part of me. Because what if I only want to be 80% less, she must now decrease all the way from 100% to 20% so that we become, you know. So I must still remain my one and remain fulfilled and remain a, a total human being. And I guess the other implication is that Before I get married, I must make sure that I am one. I don't get married when I'm still 50% and my parents are playing the other 50% in my life. So I must be a full-grown man, full-grown woman who loves themselves, who is very mature and aware of who they are and must remain like that even when I get married. And the other person should be hopefully as equally mature and as equally human being, who comes and joins me with me and we become one. So the idea of me loving myself should not necessarily start because I am married and it should not end when I get married. I should still remain that person who loves themselves, who has loved the spouse because they love themselves and they're really a complete human being that they are. Obviously, you're still going to grow and learn and develop gray hair and all of that. That's, that's, That's not the point. When, when, when we love the next person, we are not necessarily unloving ourselves. or At least we should not be unloving ourselves. We should only be able to love the next person and love our spouses simply because we are full of love. We, we love ourselves and we're not necessarily emptying ourselves when we start to love the other person. And it should never be that I neglect myself so I can love God. So then my the reverse should also be true in the sense that when I am loving myself, I am not loving her any less. So the fact that I bought myself souls does not mean I'm all. That doesn't mean I'm tired because saying ten meaning tattoo. It should not. So both physically, practically, and also emotionally. When I take care of my emotions, when I take care of my, of my spiritual needs. I'm not necessarily neglecting hers. And it should never be because I'm neglecting her or I should stop doing anything for her spiritually, emotionally, physically, simply because I'm now doing me. Doing me should be a good thing for her because it means that I remain this well self-loved person that she loved in the, in the in the first place. And then when I'm loving her, I'm not ignoring myself because she didn't love and 80% loved Sevilla. She loved 100% love, loved Sevilla. And I should remain that 100% remain loving even as I'm pouring out my love towards it. If that helps.
0: I like that. The, the question presupposes or draws a line between very unfortunate things. Individuality and individualism. Individuality is self-love. And, and like it is so well put. To not love yourself is to actually a disservice to the person you presume to love. Why? Because at both levels of trying to love other humans, the Bible says love your neighbor as you love yourself. When it comes to husbands and wives, we are often you know, uh, inclined to overemphasize husband, love your wife as Christ loved the church. But when you go down, it says, love her as you love your body, as you love yourself, in a sense. So individuality is, is something that people fall in love with. It's something that makes us who we are and it's who we should remain, in a sense, because if I'm an individual, I can reach my full potential as it was preached on Sunday to becoming the best I can be without sacrificing myself to love the next person. Because now I'll be resentful. A lot of people will hence, these things. I sacrifice my this, I sacrifice my so that you can be. Yeah, but you you were not supposed to do that you are supposed to be the best self that harnesses the best other in the next person so it doesn't mean to love the next person i shouldn't love myself because actually my self-love is the major of my ability to love the next person better on the other side is individualism where you presume that if i love myself i don't have to need you but those two things in individualism extricate it takes the other person out of the picture it deprioritizes them but individuality prioritizes the two because i have to love myself and then in the process of mastering how to love myself i can then in order, love the other individual and harness their self best. Amen.
2: There's another question online. The, the, the
1: studio is a lot quieter today, maybe because there are lights.
2: Okay, so let's finish this one, then we'll come back to that follow-up. All right, thanks. So this next one, is as should then parents strongly suggest counselling to their older kids and initiate counselling to those to the younger ones where divorce is concerned? So I think it's about counselling uh, for children when parents are going through divorce. Um, is this something that should be strongly encouraged? I think it's in light of some of the preachings
0: today. It should be. If you look at... The, the ramifications of divorce among societies. The most neglected people are the children. And so, hence I'm saying is there pre-divorce counseling just as much as this pre-marriage counseling. People should be made aware. This thing is It has the highest potential of devastating your children. Therefore, when you go through it, get counseling for your children yes sir.
1: yeah uh, just two follow up questions
3: uh thank you for for your answers Yes, I just need clarity maybe um it can
1: help all of us here yeah. uh one um I heard you say that one should
3: decide in a case where one partner is permanently disabled to do sex although you tried to explain how should one do it whether penetration whatever i don't know there are other alternatives but we'll come back to that so you said one can just a partner one partner can just decide whether to stay and be and or just to go and or just to leave so if I decide to divorce my wife based on uh, being unable to do uh, sex if I marry for example another wife or another husband won't be I be called like an adulterer do the Bible allow me to, to do that two um I heard you say, like in case of the woman in the issue of blood for 12 years, there are alternative ways. Um, I don't know if you are at liberty to educate us of those ways, because now when we talk about sex, I know only one thing, the real one. the mainline one the christian one so i don't know if you are at liberty just to educate us of those alternative ways whereby one can you imagine if that woman was married what will be happening with the husband so please educate us
0: i would have liked to but i'm not going to educate you on that one let me answer the first one Uh, And I'll tell you why I wouldn't. Maybe Sevilla would do it, but I'll tell you why I wouldn't myself. Uh, One, um, let's go back to part of the answer that we gave. It's that when you marry someone and suddenly you are caught in a non-sex, penetrative sex situation, We said, even before you talk about divorcing them, you had made vows, and those vows included those possibilities. Those vows included things like in sickness. And in sickness has a spectrum, a continuum that includes total decapacitation. It includes things like a coma, however long, whatever the case may be, all those things. For better, for worse. Those things are included in there. Therefore, hence, for me, like I was saying, it boils down to one's inability to stick to the covenant they committed to. Hence, I was saying, therefore, vows are not meant to be poetic. They are meant to be truthful and meaningful. So that's number one. Number two, if we're talking about you deciding to um, divorce, like we said yesterday, you will be called an adulteress based on the things that we we read. So, how do you end up dealing with that if you followed the arguments yesterday? it's the same question of what are we going to then do with people who divorce for reasons other than what the Bible has given. But from that space, it's not excusable to say I'm divorcing. It's understandable, but it's not excusable. Having said that,
1: sex is a...
0: It's a mutual thing. No? So when we say sex is a mutual thing, we mean that sex in marriage, contrary to popular belief, the Bible is prescriptive of sex. It's not descriptive. It intends to, one, imply procreation, imply pleasure right? It forbids uh, certain types of sexual uh, forms, but it gives no description of forms between husband and wife. For instance, it says bestiality, wada, 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 all these things, it forbids them. But it doesn't Give us a description of the pleasure the husband and wife can give each other. As a result, foreplay is seen as we read some of the verses in Song of Songs about her breasts like this. What were they? So, but these are things that are explicitly put there. Now, has God uh, inducted a particular form of you can only do penetrative sex. The Bible has not said that. Neither has it given descriptions of what else can be done. Therefore, the education that people should receive is this, at least for me, is that people must be able as a couple, to discuss what is acceptable to them, what is not demeaning to them, what is not devaluing, and what is pleasurable for both. And those would be the. Uh, if you want to be extra educated beyond this platform, you just. Either buy a book or Google non-penetrative sex, and then sit with your spouse and say, is this acceptable? Is this demeaning? Is this devaluing? Is it, does it auger with our spirit? Is it acceptable to us? Is it pleasurable? Depending on what answers you mutually come to, then you can decide what are alternatives for you.
1: Okay, Um, thank you. My question
4: has to do with um, maybe we're going to go back a bit to our yesterday discussion with regards to divorce and remarry. Um, I've seen something, it's a new trend, I don't know why, where people will divorce and remarry because in the first marriage when they were choosing the contract type, they chose a wrong one. And then once they're in marriage, then they discover that we shouldn't be married in community of property because of one, two, three, four reasons, because of businesses whatsoever. Then they go back and divorce, they agree. We are going to divorce in terms of law and then remarry. Is that a perpetual event? where where are we what is that um c- can you just elaborate on that <laughs>
1: um <clears throat>
2: That's a really nice question. Uh, thank you, Song. Uh, it, it, it It's taking me back, perhaps not even to yesterday, but to the very first question we asked today. So what is marriage? Um, if you agree to say, I see a Um are you divorcing before God? and then remarrying. So as far as the country is concerned, as far as home affairs is concerned, contractually, that is a divorce and a remarriage. Obviously, I'm sure your lawyers will advise you and perhaps uh, the legal expert tomorrow might touch on it when you divorce, there'll be things like, how do we separate our belongings, our estate, and how do we then um, make sure it's protected from future marriages, those kind of things. And you obviously don't want it to affect your own future marriage, um, which is going to happen very soon negatively. So you'd have to just get lawyers to advise and all that. So contractually, yes. But has the covenant between you and your spouse broken down to a point where we are going our separate ways, which we may then be reconciled later on and maybe remarry. And the answer from what you're saying, the answer is no. From a from a a um, covenant point of view, that marriage is continuing. Um, I made the example earlier on when I was answering <clears throat> that very first question. Are you married before the the law of South Africa, before God or 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 before culture and all of that? Culturally, I got married on the 5th or 7th of November. I came to the church on the 18th of December. I only went Guamusle. I only went Guamusle on 15th of April the following year. So that time between December and April, was I married or was I not married? From a covenant point of view, I was married. From a legal point of view, I was not married. We, I mean, by April, we had not even lived for two months with my wife. So if we had gone separate ways, she would have, not even from a customary point of view, she would find it very difficult to argue. In court, we never lived together and all of that. Uh, maybe it was a bizarre cause and all of that. From a legal point of view, see, we had no l- contract that we could divorce and share things. But before God, if we'd gone our separate ways in February, we would know that we would have divorced because the covenant at heart would have broken. So I think that's that, that that that's how I would answer it. So it's not a divorce from a biblical and covenant
1: point of view, but only a legal divorce. Yeah. It's nine minutes
2: past nine. Um, I think it's past my bedtime. So I'm gonna hand over to you
1: and we will go to us wrapping up. Thank you.
0: We want to thank all of you. Um, I think what is important for us, just in the light of your question, is that when the legal experts come, we want people to start understanding contracts because they have implications. Amen. And how people live their lives. And just as a matter of concluding tonight, and setting ourselves into the next phases. Our intention is not to answer every context of every person's experience. Our intention, like I said yesterday, is to help you develop an understanding and a view and an interpretation so that where there was ignorance and indifference, there's information. And if there are deeper things that you want to understand, It is then your prerogative based on the information who they've given you over this week to go and say, how do I want to use this information? Amen. So tomorrow we are hoping the the legal expert will be there. But like I said, she said the likelihood is Friday, the contingencies that she might ask her friend to come. Amen. And so just in the course of tomorrow, will work around what program would be like tomorrow based on what they would have told us amen shall we stand up and pray thank you for the people watching at home and hopefully one of the days you are going to come to the studio and yeah please let's organize some coffee to, from tomorrow for those in the studio and thank you for the faithful student att- studio attendees amen tomorrow we'll just bring those people with cues clap your hands
1: <laughs>
0: you know so shall we pray as we go home our heavenly father we thank you these are these are real tough issues for many of us but we thank you that we can frankly talk about them we can talk about these issues and we continue to acknowledge that we don't have all the information for these issues but for what it's worth we thank you for the grace to be able to open up chat about them and i pray that as many as are listening and engaging with these issues that for their own sake they will be like variants who of noble character and spirit who went home to check if these things were so for nothing is right nor true just because a pastor says so nothing is right just because as panelists we say so for we know in part We prophesy in part, and therefore, even our counsel is in part. It is our greatest desire to give the full counsel. Therefore, we pray that, Holy Spirit, whatever we cannot clarify, whatever we don't know, whatever does not represent God's heart, if it has been wrongly said, rectify it in the hearts and the minds of your people and lead them to all truth i pray that each person will have the presence of mind to pursue knowledge as it comes from you not not just as it taught by a man for you are the only one who can lead us into all truth we thank you father as we go home may the grace of our lord jesus christ the love of god the father and the sweet fellowship of the holy spirit rest and abide with us now and forevermore. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, saints. See you tomorrow.